Hey, it's Kimberly from the Start Me Up podcast. You know, we're all so grateful that vaccinations for COVID-19 are underway. Unfortunately, at the very time there's light at the end of the tunnel, infection rates and hospitalizations are at all-time highs across the country. In California, some hospitals are turning away patients or threatening to ration care. While we're nearing the finish line for this brutal pandemic, getting there means staying safe. For the foreseeable future, only respirator face masks provide the real protection from transmission. Unfortunately, the huge demand and limited supply of respirators means we're flooded with fakes and counterfeits that do almost nothing. Right now, the New Deal Shop.com has FDA-authorized N95 respirator masks with anti-fraud labeling on every single package that can be verified right on the manufacturer's website. They're tested in the United States by NPPTL and provide the most significant level of protection. These respirator masks are in stock in the U.S. and they ship immediately for free. Just go to the NewDealShop.com, get verified, authenticated, FDA-authorized N95 masks shipped immediately to your home or business. That's the NewDealShop.com. The NewDealShop.com. Go now. Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C., but not for long. And today, my returning guest is John Pavlovitz. Real quick, at the start of our interview, there was a little bit of a sound issue. There was He was a little quiet, but I think I fixed that. And then there was the dot, 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 because my phone was too close to the computer. So I moved it. FYI, that sound goes away. Okay, I usually try to keep those int- these intros short, but I want to make sure everybody knows that I am now offering an intro-free, ad-free show for patrons on patreon.com slash startmeup. So look for that new tier. Now, the Start Me Up podcast is an independent podcast supported by listeners, and it's woman-run. It's patrons who keep the show going. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you do enjoy today's program, look at the About page, check out some of my past guests. You'll see that most of the time I have political conversations or interviews, but occasionally I talk to actors about their craft because I used to be one. And here's what I do. I do two free shows per week. Normally I go down my tier list. Not going to do that today. I'm just going to leave it up to you. Go to patreon.com slash start me up and take a look at the different tiers that I offer. So I do two free shows on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then right after those, I do What's Up with me, Kimberly Johnson. That's me talking about whatever I want to talk about, personal stuff, political stuff, feminist stuff, whatever's on my mind. Every day is a little different. And then I also offer a one time, at least one time a month, I do a patrons only show with a guest. And then the next tier is all of that, plus you get an ad-free, intro-free option. You can make a one-time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description of the show. I always include my email, and you can use that with PayPal. That's patreon.com slash startmeup. You can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes app, Apple Podcast Store, become a subscriber. It's free. And while you're there, if you like the show, please rate it and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Okay, please enjoy my conversation with John Pavlovitz. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you so much, my friend. How are you today? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, I uh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm okay. And then I'm not because I feel like I spoke. First of all, let me just put things into perspective. So initially, after the election, talking to my dad, I'll just use him as the person to represent what I'm feeling. Um, 
he was all, you know, he was very happy. He was so grateful that Trump lost and that Biden won. And ever since then, if we talk, you know, when we talk, he'll say things. Can you imagine if Trump had won? Can you imagine what would have happened? Yesterday, though, when I spoke to him, he's like, I don't know if our democracy is going to (laughs) hold. And so I've been kind of questioning that and putting it out there. Like, I feel like right now we it's still and and, and when I say we, I mean any sane Republican, uh, independent and Democrat. If if we are uh, we have control right now. Yeah. And the longer this goes on, as far as watching the Republicans, which we'll get into in a minute, you know, strip away uh, voting rights and things like that, uh, the less chance we have of saving this democracy. And I know that I've asked some of my guests in the past, you know, how do you feel? And it was earlier in the year. And I know Greg Oliar says, well, I'm not going to start freaking out until March. (laughs) Okay, so it's March. And I'm just wondering where you are in all of this. Well, I think, you know, you see something come out like the poll numbers for the relief package, right? You see three quarters of the country wants it. And what I keep wondering is how many of those three quarters are still going to vote Republican, knowing that Republicans are trying to keep that from them. Right. And so it's it's questioning what is going to hold in the psyche of human beings who I want to believe in. I want to I want them to sort of wake up and see, hey, this yeah. is much better when you have a working government and a president with work with empathy. And so it's really wondering how far they're going to delude themselves. Are they going to finally say over the coming months, hey, this is actually better to have, you know, government that wants to care for us. And um, that's the unknown right now. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening. Yeah. It is frightening. And I'm just, um, I don't know, there's so much going on right now as far as, you know, I think it was Mark Elias, if that's the best way to say his name, was post, or I think he was on Rachel Maddow last night, and he was saying, he was just talking about all the laws that they're trying to pass Republicans to keep, basically to keep black people from voting, but white people are still going to be affected. It's going to be harder for white people to vote, too. Um, It's not just about black people, but definitely Republicans don't want black people voting because black people vote for Democrats. And, um, you know, so he was saying it's not just Georgia. He started listing all these, you know, states across the country, these red states that are working on this. And I mean, I feel like I feel like the only way that we're going to overcome this at this point is to do what we've done since Trump was elected and basically we have to show up in huge numbers to, um, you know, counter all of this stuff that they're doing. And no matter what they do, whether it's trying to get rid of ballot boxes or, you know, if they're trying to cut the hours that you can vote, whatever it is that they're doing, we just have to overcome that with numbers. And that seems to be the only solution. Yeah, and the challenge of it is, you know, it, it was great that Biden won, obviously, and that we have a, a blue Congress. But then I think there's a large number of people who took an exhale after that. Mm-hmm. And they've gone back to living the lives where they weren't quite connected to the daily, uh, you know, running of this of our government. And I think that's what we need. We need to figure out how to get that urgency again with people that they would have had mm-hmm. had yeah. won, you know? I just think that, I mean... 
the thing that's concerning to me is that you know what what mobilized so many people what what motivated so many people was Trump people only think in terms of the president they don't think in terms of Congress even though Congress has so much to do with the lawmaking it has everything to do with the lawmaking and uh, I think that we you know how do we keep I guess how do we keep people feeling motivated yeah, and I think for me, it's about you've, we've got to just keep putting out a constant awareness stream because see what happens is people weren't weren't informed, and that's mm-hmm. how we ended up with Trump in the first place. And so we've got to inundate them with information and factual information, and I think we have to get sort of creative in how we present that. But right now, what I'm seeing is so many activists and so many uh, people who are engaged were so fatigued that they <laughs> sort of have just tried to check out a little bit. Yeah. And I get it, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to keep up that urgency. So in the work I do, you know, caring for people is trying to encourage people and get them rested and say, okay, <laughs> you had your, you know, you've had some time and we need you back in this process. And so we can't yeah. afford for that sort of level of of awareness to drop any more than it has. And I think there's just this false security that people have that, Hey, we've got Biden and he's reassuring. It was that whole same thing with Obama. It's like Mm -hmm. he spoke, it was soothing. And so you go, ah, but (laughs) then you don't realize that that's what Republicans are using to their advantage. Yes, absolutely. And that, I mean, what are you just in your personal life? I mean, whether it's your Twitter comments or people that, you know, in person, what's the overall feeling are people do you feel do you feel that people are frightened do you feel they're determined what's the is there a feeling yeah i mean the overall feeling i get is has been one has been the exhaustion and then it's it's kind of like this political thing has trickled down into their relationships and so mm-hmm. now it's hey i'm not talking to my mom or my husband mm-hmm. and i are fighting and it's like that i think they're dealing with sort of the relational collateral damage of this and they're mm-hmm. not paying attention to the systemic stuff and the political stuff that's going on wow. so i think it's got a little bit more personal and mm-hmm. but people are almost tired of talking about it all <laughs> and all meaning anything related to trump or the his supporters or 2022 or 2024 which is deadly so Mm -hmm. that's for me it's like trying to say well hey if we don't make sure that we're diligent in 2022 and 24 this doesn't matter what Mm -hmm. we just did um yeah exactly that's the that's republicans i mean that's the skill set they have they are trying to figure out how can we dismantle the system so that we can keep people's voices from being heard and we have to be pissed off enough to make sure that our voices are heard totally and uh, i mean when you look at I, i just think back to 2014 or or before Trump you know there I remember there was this uh feeling this general feeling within the Democratic Party that Mitt Romney you know when he was running in 2012 I used to kind of liken him to a robot because he didn't know what a donut was and like literally did not know what a donut was he was so out of touch with reality and I look at him and I feel like he he is painted as a centrist now because he doesn't like Trump and he's not a centrist but mm-hmm. and I I would have feared uh for the country if he were to become president because I would have assumed much like Reagan or any other Republican before him the the fact that we would see some rights disappear we would see uh terrible economic issues and all of that 
but now it's changed. Now I feel like, but the thing is, is like with Mitt Romney, I felt like, all right, if Mitt Romney gets in and has a disastrous eight years, then the Democrats have an opportunity to win. But at this point in the game, I don't feel that I, it's just like with Trump. Everybody kept saying that if he wins a second term, that's it. it it'll be over. No more democracy. And I feel like that's if, if Republicans right now, this version of the Republican Party, if they were to, you know, take over with power, whether it's the White House or congressionally or both, that's it. The American experiment is over because it's autocracy. It's fascism. It's it's they can't win with their policies. Their policy right. is to troll, basically. And well, yeah. yeah, right. And they know that and they know, you know, being connected to the evangelical church mm -hmm. i mean that whole evangelical right they've known this i mean they were a dying dinosaur 10 years ago mm -hmm. and they've been able through trump to have a voice and have power and it's like sharks in the water <laughs> when there's blood there you know it's yeah. like they're just realizing okay this is our moment and if we don't keep this moment we're going to lose forever and i think that's that's that sort of desperation that yeah. they have that awareness that they have that yeah demographics are finally going to overcome us sooner or later and, we, and so they're going to do whatever they can wow. to hold this wow uh so okay that said where do you fall in all of this i mean i i obviously you understand there is an a, a, an emergency basically that we have to keep you know pull the emergency we have to get these elections, uh, right? We have to make sure Democrats win. And and frankly, I am not against having two parties, even a party that I disagree with, as long as, you know, it would be really nice if, if both parties were in fights on how they could better help people, <laughs> you know, right. like, like genu yeah. genuinely better help people. No, I'm going to help this group. No, I'm going to help. And so it would be really great to see that. And I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon, but it would be nice to have, it, it is nice to have two parties that they kind of hold each other accountable, but that's not what we've got right now. So like, what do you, what is your feeling? Just like your gut feeling moving forward. Well, I think what, yeah, you know, growing up, I try to tell my son who's 15, you know, Hey, it wasn't always like this. We had these two parties and they were, you know, diametrically opposite in some things, but they had this spirit of collaboration that mm -hmm. was still at work, even the, you know, ba basic level of decency, but it was more than that. It was trying to say, Hey, we're sort of in this together and we've got to figure this out. And we don't have that now. And that's where mm -hmm. I think the, mm -hmm. the Democrats are in danger of losing people, you know, the left who are just completely frustrated with their limitations. Uh, what I'm trying to do is get people say, who are on the left to say, okay, there are some things we don't like about the democratic party, but the option is not to relinquish this to the right right now. Yeah. Um, the Republican party right now as configured is not a group of stable individuals who are based in truth and science and, you know, love for diversity. So yeah. we cannot relinquish that. So it's a matter of getting everyone from the center all the way to the left to say, we're in this together. We've got to make some decisions that are really wise mm -hmm. right now. We can't, we can't divide ourselves. It's just, it would be deadly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I don't, I can't speak for all of these people who are on the fringe left and that's what I refer to them as because I'm always going to claim and say, you know, I'm a progressive person. Everything that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC talk about, that's the vision that I want. Even if, right. even if, and, and Elizabeth Warren always explains, here's how we're going to get it. She that's doesn't right. have unrealistic goals. Um, but at the same time, maybe some goals 
could be unrealistic. Like Bernie Sanders is talking about Medicare for all. And that's a cool like I think a lot of people want that. But I think, you know, we have to kind of ease into that. We can't just burn it all down and start from scratch and right. build up Medicare for all. It's just not going to work. So I understand that. But I think that there are a lot of bad actors out there who claim that they're far, you know, that, that they're left progressives or whatever. And it pisses me off because when I say I'm a progressive, I don't want people to think or put me in the same category as somebody like Jimmy Dore. Right. I, I'm not like that. Uh, I've, I'm, I'm Elizabeth Warren. I'm that kind of, I, I'm Katie Porter. That's the kind of progressive that I am. And I, and I feel like uh, those pe the people that are the fringe are probably getting paid by some company that's pretending to be progressive or something. I don't trust them. I don't trust that their yeah. messaging is authentic and literally coming from them uh, because I watch their messaging and I, and I, and it's so negative toward the democratic party. And, and, and then they, they want to pin somebody like me or you as being these um, blind followers who have, who are unable to think for themselves. And I feel like, well, obviously this is a huge country so many different people. There's the government is always going to have problems. It's always Democratic Party is not perfect. Many in the Democratic Party upset me, irritate me, piss me off, whatever. That's right. But it's like, well, the point of that is that we're paying them, right? So we have to keep on them every year, every single election, and there are elections every single year. And I think, uh, I think actually, I, I lost my. I went on so many tangents in that tangent that I lost my main tangent. But but still, I, I want to bring it back to um, the idea that, okay, so we're not going to see anytime soon, we're not going to see uh, necessarily two parties that are going to be benefiting the country. And mm -hmm. I, 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 I guess part of what I wanted to ask you is there is a real, and I'm just going to tie it into white supremacy is on the rise, yeah. And it's not just here, it's all over the globe. And, you know, I, I posted that the other day and I got so many trolls and I had to block, hide, reply and block. But I, I, I'm just like, you know, I mean, and I've heard within white supremacy, there is uh, sexism and misogyny. And it, it's, it's dangerous for all of us that this is happening. And I'm, I'm wondering as far as you're concerned, and especially from your perspective as a man of faith, um, how, what are the best ways for any of us, whether it's, you know, an elected official down to a Twitter person, how can we combat that? Because with social media, white supremacy grows easier through, you know, like organization is easier yeah. than it used to be. So like, what, what do you, do you, do people talk to you about this? They they do. And, you know, the, all this stuff grows in ignorance. And so for me, it's trying to give people, you know, I know a lot of people and the people in the circles I've traveled, they've lived for decades in this really toxic theology that yeah. is misogynistic and, and it's, it's completely xenophobic and it's homophobic. And it's all when you don't have an alternative story, that's where that is yeah. allowed to grow. And so a lot of what the work I do is trying to get people better stories and it sounds hmm. overly simplistic, but in some ways it's, it's information, but then it's exposing people to other experiences. So I'm constantly trying to drag my conservative friends into hmm. acts of service or into hmm. community work. I think there's has to be a collaborative 
um, you know, faith and people of faith and people who aren't of faith and all different um, backgrounds. We've got to figure out how to do some things that are visible mm -hmm. in the community, in the in the country, so that people say, okay, that's what the alternative looks like. Right. Because the people who followed Trump, they felt like they were part of something because before that they didn't feel any sort of identity. Right. And so we have to give people an identity that's bigger than the Republican Party. And it exists. It's possible. And we just they don't see it where they are. Um, wow. And so that's the work I'm, I'm trying to be about is like getting with people across all kinds of lines and say, let's do something that's actually tangible mm -hmm. and let people go, OK, that's that's a better alternative than what I'm living. Wow, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> it's like that's the best idea I've ever heard. And I feel like this needs to be happening all over. Can you like just clone yourself and go to all the states and do yeah, this everywhere? On it. Uh, yeah, well, and that's the thing too. You know where it begins. Uh, you know, I started doing this work and you know getting with a group of Muslim activists in Tennessee and then meeting with them and hearing what they care about and you know and, and then saying, okay, well, I care about the same thing, so let's do that and mm -hmm. let's let's show that kind of partnership to people who are in your immediate vicinity. Cause this is where this happens. I mean, we can do a lot on Twitter, but it's a localized right. thing. Is. I mean, we have, we have a circle of influence wherever we are mm -hmm. and we've got to figure out how to tap into that. We've got to make that happen. I'm on this neighborhood site. Right. And it's like, you go there and you go, Oh my God, this is where racism lives and this mm -hmm. neighborhood site. And so I'm always in there saying, Hey, guess what? There's a different way to live and here's how it's better. Oh, wow. But I think we do that in our local communities and that's where, a lot of this is going to change. Wow, that's oh, you're so right. <laughs> it's like just I just want to give you a hug now. <laughs> uh, well, you know, and see, that's the thing too. And it's so it's so once people see it, it's so natural because mm -hmm. the story that Republicans are telling, you know, they'll call people like me hateful, and mm -hmm. I'll say, well, listen, I'm for immigrants, I'm for LGBTQ people, I'm for people of color, and on and on and on. So I can't be that hateful. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something that you're perpetuating that's all based in fear of the other. And so if someone's raised to believe that all these different people groups are a threat, they have to be shown that they're not a threat. Mm -hmm. And then that's how you diffuse that. You can't wow, yeah. berate it into existence. You can't, you know, you yeah. can't argue someone into compassion, but exactly. you do have to show them something. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I can't say that I try to argue people into compassion. I, I think I try with well, I, my platform to um, point it out where where some yeah. people don't want to recognize it or or they're like oh because i think so many people downplay or and i know that twitter is its own bubble and if you're on if you're on political twitter you're already a junkie and so right. um and i understand that but i but i think that there are ways that we can phrase things that somebody you know i mean i can't tell you how many times i've seen someone else whether it's you or someone else write something on twitter and then i go and repeat it to someone i know you know, that particular sentiment because I learned it from you. Oh, I like the way he said that. And then I go use yeah. it later. And so I feel like you can take, you can take what, you know, you see on social media, sometimes these points of views that, Oh, I didn't think of it that way. And then bring it back to people who are not necessarily the p political junkies, but they're not thinking about it the way that you are. Cause like, Obviously, you're on Twitter. You talk about politics. You write about politics. It's on your mind all the time. But a lot of people are just doing their lives. They're just going to work and, you know, watching sitcoms. And maybe they have ideas about what's happening in government, but they don't know all like they don't know Glenn Grothman is right, you know, standing in, in the uh, um, in Congress talking about how Black Lives Matter don't care about traditional families. Right. You right. know. 
Well, and I too, and all the the thing that I'm always trying to do is is realize that what people call political, they've been conditioned to call everything political, and that that way shuts down the argument. And so I'm always yeah. trying to figure out how can I invite someone into this this idea or this topic, uh, and I always boil it down to, and we're talking about human beings. Mm-hmm. Policy, you know, finally finds its way to human beings and mm-hmm. ideologies and all this. So, you know, people say we don't talk about religion and politics. I say, well, there's nothing else. I mean, there, there, <laughs> right. there's relationally how we exist in the world and what matters to us. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be able to talk about those things. Uh, I'm, I'm actually leading a course right now on sort of empathy and compassion. And the people there are saying, you know, I have to figure out how even to open the door to conversation about something yeah. of consequence with people. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I know there's somebody in my family who just refuses to, I mean, not with me, but with my mom, she refuses uh, to have any kind of open-minded conversation. It's all closed and it's, it's angry, you know, and it's, it's tough because not everybody is so skilled in empathy. And even if you're, even if you are, I mean, I look at my mom and I think my mom is a very perfect example of, she, she's a very giving, um, woman and 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 cares she's always been you know whether it's for she's always been a liberal she's always been a democrat and she's always you know given money to charity charities that she believes in. she's gone and done the work physically um but then you know her her personality is if she's challenged by someone who is being unreasonable she doesn't have a lot of patience you know so it's like even though she has the empathy and all of that it's like she's not skilled in knowing how to take this uh i don't know like somebody who's coming at her with anger or 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 coming at her in a way that's like you know it's like instead instead of being calm and i understand that because it's like the first thing it does is it makes you angry it makes you defensive and so how do you deal with people when they're coming at you and screaming and and then how do you handle them like what do you tell yourself before you answer well, the thing about it is, you know, there isn't a person on the planet who doesn't think they're the good person. Like they, right. they think they're doing the right thing. They, they, they think their motives are pure. Right. And they're they're sort of benevolent in some way. And no one tells them themselves the story that they're the bad guy. Yeah. And so when you hear something like, you know, that information for a, for a Trump supporter, for example, about their privilege, well, they have to risk realizing I might not be the good guy in this story. Mm. And so we're always going to push against that. So I've got to figure out a way to give them some information that's going to start that process for them. And I can't start in with, Hey, you're an asshole. I got to (laughs) start figuring out, okay, let me show you why this person is being damaged right now in our society. And let me start to connect the dots between who you voted for or the legislation you support and that person. I'm not going to assign motive to you. I'm not going to say that you hate this person, but let me show you the tangible results of what you support Hmm. and then give them a chance to be human. Wow. I think you should be the president. (laughs) (laughs) That's well, please. I can barely get out of my bed in the morning, but, um, you know, that's the thing about it, though. You know, when I first I remember, you know, privilege being the idea kind of coming into my head. I was defensive. I mm-hmm. wanted to say, well, I'm not that. And mm-hmm. here's why uh, I'm as a white man. I have my own struggles, all these stupid things that you say. <laughs> but it's really because I was realizing my whole story was going to get rocked if I walked down this road. And that's where people are. They yeah. don't want to take the time to have the grief that comes along with realizing how much you've benefited from this corrupt system. Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting. Do you remember the show The Real World? 
Yeah, sure. Okay, so there was the first one in New York, and I watched that show. Now there is they. I think they're doing a limited. I think it was a total of six days that they went back to the same loft and they stayed with each other for six days. And it's a, it's a small it's like a short series or something like that. And what's so fascinating is there's a, a one of the men on the show. His name is Kevin. And he at the time was, you know, he was an activist then. And I OK, yep, so how I old was him. I? I was probably like 24 or some 23, 24 when the show came on. And. So they're talking about it right now, and, and he's been on interviews and, and talking about his activism, and other people from the show have been commenting on it, and they, they're showing flashbacks to arguments that some of the white cast members had with him. One of them specifically was this really famous argument with this girl named Julie, and she, uh, she's a white woman, and he was trying to point out privilege, but he, he, he had pointed out that... Uh, back in that day, you know, he was saying all the things that Black Lives Matter people were saying, and he, you know, but it, but there was no organized group. It it wasn't it wasn't like it is now with social media yeah. and these organizers and understanding how like certain language, especially because of social media. So, um, but he was he was you know uh, uh, an advocate for basically for human rights and for for black people. And he was trying to show these white... And I look back at my... And I think of myself. Now, I, I always was aware. I was always aware that there was racism. And I was always aware that there was some kind of systematic thing in place that, you know, like if you had a racist manager interviewing two people, one was a black person and one was a white person and they had the exact same resume. Well, if they're racist, they're going to go with the white person. And therefore I understood, okay, yes, that it's, it's more than just being called a name or being watched when you're in a store. It, 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 it's deeper than that. But at the same time, I really didn't understand how deep it went. It was not my experience. And yeah. You know, and it was like, I, I've told this story before, but during the riots and the show was on while the riots were happening, the Rodney King riots, I was living in Glendale, California, and I was driving home. My, my girlfriend lived in an affluent part of that uh, little city, and so I was driving home, and this white male police officer started to follow me. And, of course, I'm thinking, oh, shit, because I, I didn't even know there were riots. So mm. uh, I, I was unaware that they were happening at that point. And I'm thinking, oh, no, why is this cop following me? And it was freaking me out and freaking me out. Basically, I got all the way home, and it was like the cop saw this single white woman driving by herself. So he decided he was going to help keep me safe. And I remember after that, you know, realizing, oh, he was keeping me safe. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? But then I got older, and I thought, you know what? Would he have done that for a black woman or a black man? Would yeah, they right. have had that privilege? Because to me, that was that was huge privilege. He he knew there were fights going on, and he sees this single woman driving, and he makes sure that she gets to her destination. He never pulled me over. He never did anything. And yeah. and while that seems like a sweet thing to do, I have to question: Would he have done that for someone else? And I have tons, tons of white privilege stories. You know, I'm a tall, good-looking white woman, so there's yeah. all kinds of privilege that I got. And but but when I was that age and I was watching that show, I remember feeling frustrated and I didn't understand because he was angry. I mean, he was painted as the angry black man, but he was angry right. because he was frustrated. Right. You know, it's like all these white people are screaming him, "It's not about race," and he's like, "Oh my god!" He's <laughs> like, yeah. "Try living in my shoes." You know, you know. He asked this one woman, "How many times have you been pulled over by a cop?" And you know, 
had to spread them and all that stuff. So it's it's fascinating to me because we are in our little bubbles, and it's true that I, I don't think that I ever got defensive about privilege. I was just kind of ignorant of it until yes. I realized I was like, oh wait a minute, yeah, I've got all kinds of privilege and it doesn't matter that I've had times in my life when I've struggled, whether it was with money or other issues. You know, it's like put a person of color in that same situation and whatever the problems are often magnified just by the color of their skin and how white people treat them. Yeah, and you, the thing about it is it's it involves work, right? It's one thing to say, okay, how can I not say racist things? But then when you have to think about not just your behavior but the systems that you're part of, mm-hmm. well, that's that's a these are complex ideas that require time and require investigation and research. And most people don't want to even do that with the things that affect their lives directly, let alone someone else's lives. And I think yeah. that laziness, that intellectual laziness is huge because, yeah, yeah why, why – if someone tells – if I can just decide I'm not racist, well, that's enough. And um, right. it's getting people to do actual work on this is really tough. Yeah. Well, th- there's kind of a sister subject that I want to bring up. And I, and I almost hate bringing this up because it's uncomfortable. But I think it has to be talked about. And, you know, right now, Andrew Cuomo's under fire. And I yeah. can't say that I know that much about it. I do know one person said, one woman said she felt that he touched her inappropriately because he touched the small of her back. And, you know, I can't tell another human being what is comfortable and inappropriate as far as touching, because we all have our own personal boundaries. Um, But I can also, I can also though say, okay, there are certain kinds of behavior. There's rape, there's threat, there's suggestive threat. um, And then there's things like, you know, Biden and, and Cuomo maybe putting a hand on on a, a shoulder or on the small yes. of your back and somebody getting offended by that and and then you have to really ask is it, it you know is that something that someone should lose their position over but beyond that beyond all of that i think that we're in this me too world now where it's good that more people and it's not just women because it's men too but women yeah. a lot of women are are ta- are you know pointing out their accusers calling out their accusers and so obviously we have these bad faith Republicans, there are people who we can't trust, dirty tricksters. Um, in the political world, there, there very well could be, from the Republican side, plants who make accusations against Democrats. Now, somebody could argue that Democrats could do that to Republicans. And of course, that could be. But I think that when you take a look at both of the parties right now and how they're operating, I think there's more of a chance coming from the Republican side, especially now that they're basically either complicit or defending insurrectionists, that they are uh, not even trying to hide their white supremacy, which also, again, includes misogyny. And they also know that people, uh, Democrats and liberals, have said believe women. And then they, they twist believe women into the idea like you have to believe every single woman. No, you have to take every single accuser seriously. And, you know, if, if, if a person owns a store and they don't pay their employee and the employee says, hey, this per- – or, or, or let me take it back. If a person owns a store and employee says th- this uh, employee says the employer is not paying me, the store doesn't just shut down. 
there's right. an investigation that needs to go on. And I get that it's hard to prove. I mean, I'm a full-on feminist, and I believe that I, women should be believed, but taken seriously. Don't discount. Don't let the be- default be, oh, women are liars. Women are hysterical. She's making it up. It's revenge. Yeah. All that typical stuff. No, take them all seriously. But I feel like we're in this this age right now where we have to be aware of that and democrats can't just resign based on an allegation or a couple of allegations and it depends on the allegation it depends right. on the allegation and it depends on if it is like there's so much depending going on like for instance and he wasn't up for anything so there you know i, I don't think anybody tried to like there was no investigation but when anthony weiner was taking or sexting and yeah. he was taking pictures of himself next to his child in bed. Okay. Well, you don't need an investigation. We could all see what he was doing. And like with Roy Moore, we, there were so many, it was like an avalanche of accusers and, and people who said this happened to me, or if it didn't happen to them, they heard stories of how he used to go to the mall and he would approach young girls. And there were so many people saying exactly the same thing. So when it comes to lots and lots and lots of accusers saying the same thing, okay, there, there might be something to it, but when it's a couple of different people and they say that it's, it's not rape, it's not, um, full on sexual misconduct, I think it's more important that we let the due process happen, that we investigate. And I'm just wondering how you're feeling about that and what you think in terms of that as a man. Wow. Um, well, you know, I, I spent over two decades as a student pastor. So I was in this world where there's already sexism and misogyny it's steeped in it in the church. And then I'm, I'm working with, you know, middle and high school students. And so you realize that the way that power can be leveraged and I was always having to try to be aware, okay, how could this be perceived? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a naturally um, affectionate person raised in this Italian family and it <laughs> isn't anything for us to just be really touchy feely. Yeah. And so I always had to kind of filter the way that I felt comfortable with realizing how that could feel for other people. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, always hypersensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get into the world that we're living in now. And for me, yeah, there is, the heart of believing women is that we take every accusation seriously and we investigate it and we go through that process and we determine truth because ultimately truth is the most vital thing when we're talking about someone's when we're talking about something this serious. Mm-hmm, right. And mm-hmm. so that involves so it's so there's the layers of that are so deep, but for me, it's about just trying to make sure that we are consistent in valuing the person mm-hmm. who's making the accusation mm-hmm. and then we also want to value the other person because we've seen throughout you know history sometimes those things are founded and sometimes they're not and i just want to make sure that whatever happens in the public arena doesn't dissuade people from coming forward and accusing yeah. when there's something has happened right the the most important thing is that people who are uh, you know survivors of this are, are empowered to feel like they won't mm-hmm. be attacked when they come out and share their truth. Yeah. And so that's, that's the, what I'm always trying to hold because the vulnerability of that and the, you know, how, what a delicate space that is to go in, and enter the public square and to claim that, uh, I want to make sure that people never lose that. Yeah. Uh, having said all that, you know, we now Republicans, you know, they don't care about women. So believing mm-hmm. women, that's irrelevant because we've already shown when there is an accusation in the Mm -hmm. Democratic Party, 
there are usually strict consequences. Yes. And in the Republican Party, there is a reward. Right. And I yeah. think that's that's what we always want to balance to say, look at the, the larger picture of this group and that group. Mm-hmm. But then never forget, there's a human being at the core of that story. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And it makes it tough because, I mean, as a feminist, I don't think as a feminist, my goal is, I mean, especially to support all women, because, I mean, what I support is equality for women, no matter who you are. I don't care who you are, even if I don't like you, but I don't have to support you if you're a Sarah Palin or Marjorie Taylor Greene or, you know, um, right. a, a woman who's going to work against other women or the country or whatever it is. I don't have to support you. I do support women's equality. I, I believe Sarah Palin should be equal. I, I believe that she should have just as many rights as men have. I, I don't have to like her or support her values. But it's difficult for me as a feminist when it comes to this issue, especially because I think Democrats, I, I, I don't, I wish we didn't go with the believe women. I think, I, I wish we would have gone with take every accuser seriously from the get go. Because then what yeah. it does is gives Republicans say, you're supposed to believe every woman. And then what winds up happening is, like you said, when a Democrat is accused, um, then it's it's very strict. Oftentimes, before there's an investigation, like Al Franken called for an investigation, right? But then yep. he was pressured to leave. Now, now I'm not necessarily Team Franken. I'm Team Justice, and so I feel like this. Like, okay, I, there's an opportunity maybe that Franken will run again, and everyone likes him. Uh, you know, so there could be an opportunity where he runs and he wins. Now, let's say we had had that investigation. Let's say he stayed on. And there could have been two outcomes. One, the investigation could have determined that he really didn't do anything wrong other than, you know, maybe taking advantage of us. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't uh, assault anybody. He, he went too far maybe with uh, some of his uh, assumptions about how he could behave. Maybe that was the ter- determination and he stays. Or... Maybe it would have been determined, yes, he did inappropriately touch people. He made enough people. I think nine women came forward and said that he made them feel uncomfortable one way or another. Some women claimed that he grabbed their their ass uh, and groped. And so, you know, I mean, when you do an investigation, you talk to friends and they say, yeah, in, in year X, my friend said Al Franken did this. So it helps mm-hmm. to corroborate and, and it, get, it, it paints a broader picture. So he could have, it could have been determined that, yeah, he really was inappropriate. Well, then he would step down and then it would be better if he doesn't run again, because then if he runs again, then this could come up after no investigation. So basically the idea is, even though it's hard to prove, uh, you, you know, we saw with Blasey Ford, it didn't help her, but she was talking to her friends at the time about incidents and talked to her husband about the incident, talked to her therapist about the incident that, you know, she was talking about with Brett Kavanaugh and she had people to corroborate her story. And so that's, it's like, I don't want to say that these people who are uh, going against Cuomo are liars. I have no idea. I would, and Cuomo called for an investigation and I'm not even a big fan of him. I mean, he's all right and everything, but I, I, you know, I was not on the let's elect him president bandwagon. And um, I didn't really have much of a care either way. I thought the way he was dealing with Trump and COVID was, you know, I was grateful for that voice at that time. But at the same time, it's like I w- I'm not like, woohoo, Cuomo. Right, know, I'm, not right. def- I'm not defending him. I just look at the situation and I recognize that, you know, I will say that in real life, 
or in Hollywood or in, you know, in, in business and all of that. Yeah. Women are usually the ones who have to deal. It's women, but it's also men because you look at the Lincoln project situation and then, you know, Weaver was going after men. So men deal with this also. They don't always report it because it's embarrassing to them, but women don't always report it. Um, but yeah, women have to deal with a lot of misogyny and sexism in the workplace all the time and coming forward is difficult, but, but, but the political arena in this day and age is very specific and we always have to be mindful that we cannot allow Republicans to use our own morality against us so that we lose good people based on false allegations. And, and I'm not saying that women are out there making false allegations because I think the last time I checked, it was like 2% of allegations are, are false. Right. Well, and the, the, you know, the bottom line for, for I know for me and, and for you, I'm sure, is that we're not going to want a predator or an abuser or a rapist in office, mm-hmm. period. Right. And so we, but we the Republicans don't care. And so they right. will, they gladly knew who Trump was mm-hmm. and they elevated him to the highest position in the country. So I think, yeah, we want we want dignity for for human beings. And so but it's it's the truth. It's mm-hmm. whatever the truth is. We want the truth to be honored. And I think that's the speed with which we often you know, yes. dismiss people is yes. it can be frightening. Um, but gosh, yeah, what a, what a, and that's, you know, that's a place where Republicans, it's ripe for, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to take this mm-hmm. and I can just make this accusation and it's going to dismantle them. Exactly. Um, we can't allow them to do that. And that puts us in a tough position because we do want to believe every accuser, but at the same time, we can't allow Republicans, again, to use our own morality against us so that we lose and they win and then it's over. Yeah, so. I mean, and then the, you know that's the whole idea of the you know the believe women thing, and then they use defund the police. Mm-hmm. And so there there are people of catchphrases or right. taglines, and they'll claim theirs and right. ours, and just use them for people who won't you know you won't use critical thinking, yeah. and you can just throw that out, and so it it shuts down any meaningful mm-hmm. kind of conversation. Well, that's an interesting take, and um, I know you got to get going, but I want to thank you for being on the show. You have such an important voice, and, uh, you know, talking about um, how to combat white supremacy was such a great idea, what what you were talking about. So thank you for that suggestion, and I'm going to look around and just see what else is out there um, along those lines, either promote it, get involved or whatever, because it's a fantastic idea, but you're just such a wonderful voice and, and you, you know, when you go on Twitter, oftentimes it can lead to frustration (laughs) and anger and knee jerk reactions. And every time I see you, um, you always have something positive to say, even if you're complaining. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show. I love talking to you. Well, the pleasure is mine, and I just so appreciate the work you're doing out there, and and that's what this is about, you know, the people who are trying to um, have a more compassionate, more diverse planet that we just keep talking and keep doing and, and figure out how to make it happen. Yes, well, before you go, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, they can find me on uh, johnpavlovitz.com or my name, John Pavlovitz, pretty much in Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, then uh, you can also find me on Twitter, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E at the end. And you can find my books on Amazon. And, you know, John writes books. So we love reviews. We need, if you like our work, please review it because 
authors and podcasters, we all rely on that. So FYI. And thanks again for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Take okay. care, my friend. Take care.